Job satisfaction across the federal government appears headed in the right direction. No huge jumps, but figures the Office of Personnel Management released this week show slight upticks in measures of how employees view their workplaces, their sense of mission, and other indicators of a healthy work culture. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu and Drew Friedman have been covering the latest Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey figures, FEVs, and they join me now. And I guess let's start with a review of the numbers themselves. Yeah, Tom, I think the main thing that jumps out at you is, as you said, none of these jumps are enormous. We're talking one or two percentage point uh, increases on each of these key indicators. But I think the thing that strikes me is they're really across the board. On all of the numbers that OPM tracks that really matter, you do see these increases. There's really no area in which um, the government is losing direction, when you, at least when you look government-wide. So, for example, you, you see figures like 68% of people now saying that they're satisfied with their jobs, which is up two percentage points from, 2000, uh, 20, from 2022. And then the big kahuna that OPM kind of touts all the time and, and really the biggest composite score that they look to each year. In 2023, that's at 72%, up just one one percentage point from the year before. And then several of the components that make up that composite score also went up this year. Um, the, the, The key ones that OPM points to are what they call leaders lead. That's sort of employees' perceptions of the quality of their leadership and intrinsic work experience. That that gets back to that first number that I mentioned, that 68% of people saying that they are, you know, overall satisfied with their jobs. And Drew, do you think that the fact that several hundred thousand federal employees finally settled union contracts in the past year, could that be part of it? It's possible. I mean, there have been a lot of things that have changed over the past year that could be attributed to this change in score. For example, one of the big changes we saw this year was the OMB memo back in April uh, that announced return to office or changes to telework for federal employees. That's something where I'm not sure how much that feeds into the FEVs results this year, just because the FEVs was surveyed out in May of this year. So we may not see the full impact of that, for example, until next year's survey results. But there have been a lot of changes this year. So it's interesting to see more steady results of that. And on the telework piece, Tom, I mean, what one thing I have to say is a bit annoying is OPM keeps changing the way they ask the questions about telework so that it's very difficult to track year to year. To be fair, they have not been doing telework questions on FEBS for very long, but they asked it differently this year than last year. So it's a little hard to tell what's going on there, partly for the reasons Drew just talked about. A lot of these return to work actions happened late in fiscal year 2023. So it's hard to know if the survey really captured a lot of that. But from the data that we can see, it really does not look like there's been a huge decrease in telework, at least at the time that the survey was collected. There's only 6% of the workforce that said they were not approved to telework in 2022. That figure stayed exactly the same in 2023. And OPM asked a new question on this year's survey, which was, do you telework every day? And 14% still said yes. So if you just look at those numbers, it looks like there may even be an increase in telework in 2023 compared to 2022. But is it fair to say that OPM is not trying to juice it by revising the questions? I mean, that would not be give you comparable year to year and would give them kind of a propaganda point, which this is not about that. Yeah, Drew may have some thoughts on this, but but I, I, I would say OPM, from what we have heard from leadership, is fairly supportive of telework with some caveats. And maybe we'll let uh, Kieran Ahuja, the director of OPM, explain her views herself. This is Ahuja speaking last week at the ELC conference in Hershey, Pennsylvania. What we're seeing and what we're understanding is that the hybrid work environment is, I think, the place of the future. Like, we're not going to go back to a pre-pandemic environment. 
That is about recruitment and how that's key to your recruitment, especially in the IT workforce. So we get it. I think we've increased the number of remote positions in the federal government. If you go on USA Jobs, there's a lot more. But I think we also need to understand the value of in-person engagement. And I think that is part of creating the balance that we need. And Tom, I'm speculating a little bit here, but it's possible that that 14% who say they are teleworking every day, that may come from that increase in purely remote positions. I don't think we know for sure yet. And one of the most important scores, Drew, is what people think of leadership, and that's holding pretty steady, which is kind of interesting given the teleworking phenomenon because people simply aren't in contact in person, visually, you know, and within actual earshot of their bosses in many cases. Absolutely. You know, this is one that is pretty interesting to track, Tom, just because looking, for example, last year in 2022 Febs, you saw a really steep difference between employees' perceptions of top leaders versus their immediate supervisors. This is always a trend that we see where the immediate supervisors are generally regarded to have, you know, more positive perceptions from their employees. But in 2022, just last year, you saw a much steeper uh, gap than usual. This has closed a little bit this year. The perception of supervisors, for example, stayed exactly at 80%, pretty positive. But for these top leaders, there was a 2% increase. So they went from 59 up to 61%. So that's an interesting trend to watch over time. But it is it does stay pretty much on that path every year. And by the way, with respect to telework, what were the response rates like this year? Response rates were up quite a bit this year, interestingly, and it's hard to know if that correlates exactly with the increase in scores across the board that we saw. But in 2023, there were 39% of the people who were eligible actually responded. That's 626,000 feds, so a really massive data set in these 100 or so questions. There was a 35% response rate last year. Um, so so pretty big difference from 35 to 39%. I guess then we could summarize almost by saying that with the telework continuing, it really doesn't seem to have that much effect on people's ability to work and how they feel about their work, in some sense underscoring the trend toward people not coming into the office en masse every day of the week. I would say that's something that we might not be full, seeing the full picture just quite yet. Uh, as I mentioned, those results are, or the, the survey was distributed in May, so largely before we saw a lot of agencies even announcing their return to office plans. That's something that came much later in the summer and into the fall. Now we're seeing those plans being carried out. A lot of employees now having to return to the office more often than they have been used to for the last couple of years. So it'll be most likely in next year's feds that we'll see the full results or full impacts of those changes that you know, employees have said for the past couple of years, they enjoy generally teleworking, they feel more productive. So I think it'll be interesting to see over time. And at this point, we don't know the agency by agency results. We don't know whether the Marine Mammal Commission is the most satisfied agency of the small ones or whatever. When does that all come out? So there's not an exact timeline, but generally we'll see that a couple of weeks out from the raw data that OPM releases for FEVs. So maybe around early December, if I had to guess. And then in the couple months after that, we'll also see the Partnership for Public Services, Best Places to Work rankings, which is based off a couple different uh, data points in FEVs as well. So that'll tell a little bit more of the agency-specific story for 2023. OPM made a point in its kind of executive summary of comparing these results to the Gallup survey that 
that looks at the general working world in the uh, private sector. Yeah, that's right. And, and that gets kind of back to the point that we started with, which is even though the increases are small, the trajectory and the sort of across the board nature of these increases, I think, is, is what's worth looking at. And that's in contrast, as OPM points out, to what we see in private sector survey data on employee engagement, which is, you know, Gallup is kind of the authoritative source there. But questions are different. The indices are different. So you can't do one to one comparisons. But the, the overall private sector employment employee uh, engagement index has been dropping uh, for several consecutive years now by small increments, but dropping. Well, we'll wait for those agency by agency results to come out. In the meantime, Federal News Network's Jared Serbu and Drew Friedman, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. And check out all of our FEVs coverage at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Comstetter, Chief People Officer, at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect, so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people? And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences and that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance 
And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking, that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, and we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're gonna go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when as a leader that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on, on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency and I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, okay, I'm gonna go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I wanna hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight, I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this 
particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped. And I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, mm -hmm. people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title chief people officer and I think it's my dream job really to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with an intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going? Um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? 
So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life, and I think because, first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, And I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank uh, you. Having known you now for seven or eight years, yeah. um, and work alongside you. Uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues. It's, uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.